everyone, and welcome back to the Know It All podcast. I am your host, Riley Sue, and I am so excited to be joining you guys for yet another week of the pod, another week of kicking it and learning some fun stuff together. Uh, I really enjoyed last week and getting to talk about lightning with all of you and all of the discussions that I got to have with y'all after the episode aired. It actually rained all over the central United States last week whenever the episode went up. So a few people reached out and told me that they were listening and getting to enjoy the thunder and lightning that was going on in their area. And I'm so glad that we could all spend some time with Mom Roggen, Shango, and the other lightning gods we talked about. If you haven't heard last week's episode and you're interested to learn more about those guys, go ahead and and head on over there uh, after you finish up with this one. This week, though, I'm working with a new microphone and a new soundboard. So if you notice a slight difference, well, I hope that it's an improvement. Uh, Let me know what you think. There are also sounds on my board now. Yeah, I know. So exciting. I'm really pumped to get to get started with those and kind of see, you know, how they blossom. And maybe we'll completely abandon them and maybe not. Maybe I have four more slots on the soundboard. I haven't loaded anything yet, but we'll see. You know, we'll see. This week, though, as you probably saw whenever you click the episode, we are talking about bog bodies. Now, as always, I would not be shocked if you don't know where I'm headed whenever I say the words bog body. That's fine. We're going to we're going to work it back. What about natural mummy? Does that work? No. How about mummy? I bet I bet that works. I bet that gets a little something for you. But you know what that is. So we're going to take it all the way back to the beginning in true know-it-all form. Get cozy. Let's kick it. Come on. This week, we're doing bog bodies for Pete's sake. Let's have some fun. From Halloween to Hollywood, mummies have permeated all corners of our pop culture experience. And it all begins with Howard Carter's expedition to the Valley of the Kings in Egypt during the fall of 1922. The trip's financial backer died of an infected mosquito bite that he cut while he was shaving. And authors and early conspiracy theorists of the 20th century were frothing at the mouth when this happened. Quickly, they were postulating that there was a curse that hung over the ancient tomb of Tutankhamun that they had unearthed. And it was coming for anyone who dared to disturb the Valley of the Kings. This curse grew and blossomed into the mummies that you and I probably know today. From the 1932 version of The Mummy to the 1999 film, our popular ideas and fascinations for these wrapped corpses haven't really changed much. But the intensive process of removing organs, embalming, and wrapping the bodies of those that were in the process of passing on wasn't the only burial practice that was available in Egypt. The expensive and long project of digging a tomb, gathering materials or requested items, filling it up with treasure, and then paying priests to complete the mummification and ceremonial processes was something that not everyone could really afford. Egyptians who couldn't foot the expenses or wait the 70-day process would instead bury their loved ones in more simple graves, still with special items or jars of food for them to enjoy in the afterlife, but think, think literally just hot sand. And this hot sand of the Sahara Desert would eventually dry and mummify the body in a natural way. Of course, the mummies of Egypt are the most famous, and they may be the ones that you know best, but they're not the oldest, nor are they the only place that we can find examples of naturally preserved mummies. Now, when I was either in fourth or fifth grade, I had a school book, I don't remember if it was science or if it was history, that featured one of the most famous and well-preserved natural mummies, Otzi the Iceman. And you may also know Otzi, as he was kind of a cultural phenomenon when he was found in his final resting place in 1991 between Austria and Italy up in the Alps. Now, the physical conditions of Otzi's grave were far different from the dry hot sand of Egypt, like literally polar opposite, except not on the poles. 
He was buried under a glacier at an elevation of around 10,530 feet, which, if you didn't know, is about as high or as tall as if you stacked the largest pyramid of Giza on top of itself 20 times. When he was found by tourists, they actually thought that he was a mountaineer that had recently passed away, but this body was far more mysterious than that. After extraction, scientific analysis told that Atsi the Iceman, as he came to be known, had actually died in 3230 BCE, during the Copper Age, and had been waiting in the glacier to be discovered for 5,200 years. Despite his age, his body was incredibly well-preserved, with everything from his tattoos, his clothing, his shoes, tools, stomach contents, vocal cords, and even his red blood cells surviving the multiple millennia that had passed since his death. The body had actually been preserved in the cold, icy conditions of the glacier because he was laying face down in a gully that prevented him from being crushed by the movement of the glacier above him. And the only reason that he had been discovered in 1991 was due to an abnormally warm summer that had melted the glacier and exposed his upper body to the hikers. He was only missing his epidermis, which is actually common in ice preservations like Otzi. And this frozen grave is a fascinating example of how when the right conditions come together, time can almost be stopped or frozen and history can be perfectly preserved. Sometimes it's not glacial water and it's not dry desert sand that preserves a body. In San Bernardo, Colombia, the traditional funerary practice is to place bodies in cement vaults above ground because the dirt is too wet. Typically, bodies in these vaults deteriorate after a couple of years, but this isn't the case in San Bernardo. Often, bodies within the vaults here are found to be partially or fully mummified. The village is situated at an elevation of around 5,200 feet, and some people think that the mummification of these bodies is caused by the dry mountain air, but it's not entirely clear. The locals actually think that it's caused by this fruit that they're known to eat, and we can't necessarily put that out of the question either. The city actually has a museum that's made up of mausoleums where tourists and loved ones can come and see this incredible example of natural mummification. So we've seen mummification happen after humans begin the process caused by heat, caused by freezing temperature, and caused by dry air. But what if I were to tell you about mummification caused by a lack of air? Okay. So bogs are a type of wetland ecosystem that is made up of spongy, poorly draining, peat-rich soil. And bogs can be divided into three different types. Typical bogs in cool regions where sphagnums are extremely prevalent, pocosins or evergreen shrub bog common to the southeastern United States, and tropical or tree bogs where peat may be created solely by tree matter. Typical bogs are the most common in the tundra and boreal forest regions of Canada, northern Europe, and Russia. They're also common in areas of high rainfall in the southern British Isles. Formed during the movement of glaciers during the Pleistocene epoch, depressions in the earth filled with water. If these water deposits were low in minerals, the small ponds were colonized by sphagnum mosses that turned the area into a bog. After bogs are formed, drainage is prevented by a lack of water movement and the slowing of erosion to the soil and rocks in the area. But it isn't just water that behaves differently in a bog. The area in the bog quickly becomes anaerobic, as cool temperatures and acidic conditions cause the rate of plant growth to be faster than the decomposition of plant material. Now, beginning in the Iron Age, bogs have been drained for agricultural use or dug for peat, an industry that grew through the 20th century, particularly during the World Wars and into the 1950s. Ireland still has a large peat industry. Many of the naturally created mummies, or bog bodies as we're going to call them, were found whilst people were digging for peat. Left by generations and traditions that span 7,000 years, bog bodies have been found in Denmark, Ireland, Germany, and even Florida. The natural preservation of the corpses found in the bogs is incredibly lifelike and has both terrified and fascinated the living people who have come upon them. The bodies are divided into three categories. Bog mummies, whose soft tissues and hair have been preserved. 
bog skeletons who are made up only of bones, and another category who is made up of partial pieces of either. And unlike the other natural mummies I've discussed, bog bodies and bones are often found soft and pliable, leading some people to believe that they're recently deceased. The wet and acidic conditions of the bog not only causes preservation and softness, but it also tans the skin and stains the bones a very dark brown color. So we're going to dig into a few very fascinating bog bodies from around the world, starting with the oldest that's been found. Originally called the Quellberg Woman, this body was found in 1941 by peat diggers. Though we don't have a clear indication of how this individual died, we do know that their death is dated to 8500 BCE, or 10,500 years from the present moment. The sex of the Quellberg individual was greatly debated for a long time, but in 2017, through isotope, statistical, and DNA analyses, it was determined that this body was that of a man. And at the time of his death, this man was no older than 25 years old. And it's likely that the body was either left to open water shortly after death or that he may have drowned. Unearthed from her anaerobic grave in 1835, the Harold Scare woman is one of the few bodies that survived from the early documented discoveries of bog bodies. Before the use of modern museum preservation and technology, such as freeze-drying, that's used now, many of these bodies were photographed and documented before they quickly fell apart. And before the 19th century, bog bodies were often given a Christian burial, and sometimes worse yet, they were split into pieces to be sold at auction or ground up into mummy powder to be sold as medication. But this woman's lasting survival isn't the only thing that sets her story apart. Found by workers in Jutland, Denmark, while digging for peat on the Harold Scare estate, the body was actually naked, with a leather cape and three woolen cloaks folded and laid on top of her. Branches were used to hold her down, and her entire body was intact. After her discovery, it was theorized that this was the body of the Norwegian Queen Gunhild, who had lived around the year 1000. The Jumsviking saga tells that Queen Gunhild was actually drowned in a bog at the request of Danish King Harald Bluetooth. The belief spread, and King Frederick VI of Denmark actually ordered a sarcophagus to be carved in honor of her and to hold her remains. But not everyone believed that she was of royal lineage or even from the time of Queen Gunhild at all. In 1977, radiocarbon dating found that the remains predated the queen by around 1,500 years, placing the Harold's Care woman's lifetime in the Iron Age. Although she did not end up being the queen of the legend, there's no doubt that her assumed identity helped preserve her body and her legacy through almost 200 years' time. Her body still lies in her carved sarcophagus, and you can actually go visit her at the St. Nikolai Church in Vale, Denmark. So after the Harold Scare woman was found in the early 19th century, there were more bog bodies found, though, as I said, not many survive. Another incredible find, though, came in 1938, outside of Silkborg in the central part of Denmark. Initially, when the farmer found who would later be called the Elling woman, he thought that he'd come upon the remains of an animal who had drowned in the bog, and it was only after he noticed a woolen belt that was tied around her waist that he considered it might be an archaeological find. He went ahead and called the National Museum, and the body was taken to Copenhagen to be analyzed and eventually stored. In the 1970s, it was established that the body was from the early Iron Age, and that her age around death was approximately 25 years old. Initially, it was difficult to determine the sex of the body, because while the backside had been well-preserved, the face and the front side had not been. She was wrapped in a blanket and dressed in a cloak, and more interesting was her hair. It was pulled back in this soft, long ponytail, and it was braided and then tied into a knot. Details that you could see on the day that she died, the day she was found, and still to this day. You can actually find a lot of YouTube tutorials on how to braid your hair and style it like the Elling woman. I tried to do it. I have too many layers cut into my hair, unfortunately. But if you want to look like the Elling woman, which the hairstyle is so cool, go ahead and check it out on YouTube. But a rope was also found with her with a sliding knot tied into it. 
And we now believe that the Elling woman was hung, evidenced by the rope and by the presence of a furrow in her neck that could have been left by the hanging. Twelve years later, and a mere 320 feet away, in the same bog outside of Silkborg that had produced the Elling woman, came the Tolland man. One of the most famous and well-known bog bodies to date, he was found by two brothers and their family that were digging for peat to use for fuel. The brothers saw a disturbance in the ground and they called their family over. Most of the family members were skeptical that it was nothing more than peat or a log, but the mother rolled up her sleeves and she began digging with her hands. It's even said that she stuck her fingers right between the tall man's forehead and his cap. The family initially called the police because they thought that the body was fresh. But after the police were told that the body had been found two and a half feet into the peat with no signs of recently disturbed earth nearby, they knew that this was a matter for the museum. And though only a small portion of him was visible at first, they could see a rope around his neck. Analysis has shown that while the Tallinn man was hung, he died from strangulation alone instead of strangulation combined with the breaking of his neck. All of his facial features are well preserved with a little stubble visible on his chin. And he was also found curled onto his side with a soft smile as if he just drifted off to sleep. He was either buried naked or in clothes that have long since gone, but he was found wearing only a waist belt and a pointed cap. They were also able to take his fingerprints in 1950 when they found him, which is just incredible. Those are the oldest fingerprints that we have on record, and they're literally from someone that lived before the Common Era. That's it completely blows my mind. Now, pretty often, the bodies that are found in bogs not only seem to have met violent ends, but they also belong to children. Thought to have been recently deceased, the peat diggers who found this body are rumored to have cried out, I hope the devil gets the man who dug this hole. It was 1897, and they had just happened upon the body of a young girl. Around four feet, six inches tall, and wearing a heavy wool cloak was the traumatized body of the Ida girl. Found near the village of Ida in the Netherlands, her recovery was severely mishandled by almost everybody involved. After it was damaged by the peat cutter's tools, workers returned later in the day and they actually hid her under stacks of peat on top of the bog. She was not again found until nine days later, whenever the mayor, who had a hobby for science, came to look for her and took some notes over her body. He was the first to notice that the hair on half of her head had been shaved off, and he even pulled more pieces of her body from the bog before contacting the museum. But before they could come and take custody of the remains, the townspeople came and removed the girl's hair, her teeth, and some of her bones. Her age at her time of death has been estimated around 16 years old, and she had both a stab wound near her collarbone and a rope knotted three times around her neck. Scans of her body have told that she lived with scoliosis, causing her to have an uneven gait. They did a reconstruction of her skull in 1994, and you can go ahead and check out pictures of what she may have looked like, as well as some other bog bodies from the episode at Know It All Podcast on Instagram. Found in 1904 in the Netherlands comes the endearing story of the Weerdinga couple. Initially, due to the preservation of only one of the pelvises in the grave, the couple was thought to be that of a male and a female. Now, however, through available testing, we have established that both of these bodies belong to men. Their delicate and intimate embrace has lasted through thousands of years, with the bodies being dated from 160 BCE to 220 CE. One of the men actually had his abdomen cut and his entrails laid out before his death, leading some people to believe that these were comrades in arms that may have died during a battle. Other speculations have included that they are lovers, father and son, or even brothers. Though, it's important to note that testing has verified that the two men are not maternally related. Testing of the Y-chromosome DNA to determine if they're related paternally is, as far as I can tell, more difficult to execute on the 2,000-year-old goo that they've been inside of, and I couldn't find that it had been done. Now, no matter what you believe about these men, they were laid to rest in a very careful and intentional way, especially when you compare them to some of the other bodies that have been found in the bogs. So I hope that someday we get to unravel the mystery of how they ended up together.
Now, in more modern operations, as far as I can tell, peat is dug from the earth and then put onto a conveyor belt where someone's tasked with taking out any solid pieces of wood or rock so that it can be processed even further. This is exactly what one peat worker was doing in the summer of 1984 in Cheshire. The man tossed a piece of debris aside, but when it hit the ground, it made a heavy thud and all of the dirt fell away, exposing a human leg. This body would be called the Lindo Man, and it dated to the first century of the Common Era. Now, I would go ahead and argue that he may have met the most violent death that I'm going to discuss today. He drew his last breath at around 25 years old, and it's suspected that he did very little labor in his life. His fingers were found to be well manicured, and his beard had been cut off with a pair of shears. He was hit over the top of his head twice by a heavy object, possibly an axe, and he received a violent blow to his back that broke one of his ribs. There was also a thin cord tied around his neck that was used to strangle him, and his neck was actually sliced open before he was thrown face down into the waters of the bog. Many bog bodies that are found are dated to the Iron Age or to another close time period, but there are more modern instances of bodies being lost to bogs or being dated closer to their discovery date. One such man was Johann Speaker, a traveling salesman and falconer who suddenly died in 1828 while on his way through a bog. After his body was discovered, he was actually reburied with his personal belongings in the bog because they thought it would be too difficult to take him out. And then later in 1950, while they were harvesting a bunch of white peat from in the bog, they left the column where his body was laying intact so he wouldn't be disturbed. But in 1978, archaeologists came back and dug up the area, finding only his jacket, his prayer book, and a few personal items. There are even bog bodies of Soviet Union soldiers from World War II, like that of Boris Lazarev, who was shot down at the age of 22 and crash-landed in a bog. His body was preserved for more than 50 years while still inside of his aircraft. He was still wearing his uniform and his helmet, with only his feet missing, and that was presumably from impact. He was actually taken back to Russia after he was found and buried with full military honors. Remember way back in the beginning when I mentioned Florida? Well, I wasn't going to hold out on you. In 1982, a backhoe operator digging for new construction in Wendover, Florida, came upon what would become one of the most extensive examples of bog bodies that we have, and the only one from an evergreen shrub bog that I'm covering today. The site eventually uncovered more than 160 skeletons, generations of the same Native American clan that had all been buried in the same spot. Testing showed that the area had been used by these people for more than 1,300 years, but that wasn't the only incredible part. The skulls that were being removed from the dig were unusually heavy for bog skeletons, and they initially thought that this was because they were filled with peat. Scans and tests later revealed that in 91 of the bodies, the brain had been preserved within the skull, so well that the cellular structure was still visible under a microscope. It was also discovered by studying the chemicals and elemental traces in their bones that these were a nomadic people, traveling the Florida Peninsula and returning to Wendover to bury their dead. This tradition and its importance was further evidenced by the ceremonial aspects on the site, such as jewelry, weapons, and other valuable items that had been placed with the bodies at the time of their burial. The bodies would have also been wrapped in blankets after their death and then transported to the bog. They were then placed under the water and held beneath the surface by wooden stakes. But this is not to say that the end for these people had been violent or forceful in any way. There are two bodies from Wendover that show the great care and love that this culture had for its people. One was a woman that was more than 50 years old at the time of her death, and upon discovering her skeleton, it showed that she had sustained and healed multiple bone fractures in the years leading up to her passing. Her injuries would have kept her from pulling her weight, so to speak, and it meant that she would rely on the help of others for an extended period of time. The other body, that of a teenage boy, suffered from spina bifida. One of his feet was severely deformed, and the other was lost to a probably fatal infection that took the foot and part of his leg. Both of these people would have required intensive care from those around them, which is a testament to the interconnectedness and empathetic culture of these people. 
So after all of that, you're probably asking why. And to be completely honest, historians and archaeologists and little old me aren't entirely agreed upon what the answer to that question is. So let's go ahead and dig into a few possibilities and see where they take us. Our first option is that, well, people die and maybe the bog was just convenient. This could be the case for a great number of bog bodies. There's one location in Denmark where there's an estimated 380 bodies of ancient warriors left. They're assumed to have died in battle and were removed from the battlefield with their weapons and their personal items and then thrown into the bog. I mean, the bog was there, they needed more space to have their war, or maybe it was time to go home and dragging all of those people back to their land was just undoable. Either way, the warriors ended up in the bog. Other speculations for why bodies may have ended up in a bog include that the person may have been murdered and the killer meant for the body to never be found, or that the deceased had ended up in open water that just eventually turned into the bog we see today. One theory that has a lot to work with is the ceremonial aspect. And recently, a study that was published in the journal Antiquity helped to create a database of more than 1,000 bog bodies from more than 250 different sites. In 57 of those bodies, the cause of death could be determined, and at least 45 of those people were killed in a violent manner. Some people believe that the idea of violence that we're putting on these bodies is just our modern perception, and that the death of these people was something more ceremonial or sacrificial. Reaching out to the heavens and giving up one of your own as a solution to famine, war, extreme weather, or for fertility purposes was not uncommon before the Romans banned human sacrifices in their territories. There are two commonalities in most Iron Age bog bodies, age and disability. Many of them are 25 or younger, and like the Eda girl, show signs of physical abnormalities during their life. These people were thought to have been touched by divine powers and possessed shamanic abilities that enabled them to communicate between the physical and spiritual world, a liminal space much like that of the bog neither wholly one thing nor the other. In ancient times, ceremony and tradition were what held communities together, and though it may seem strange to us now, ritualistic sacrifices would have been great for bringing the community together, and it would have been an honorable death for the person that was passing. These people may have been revered or cherished by their communities for their great contributions to the survival of their people. I think what's important here is that no matter what happened at the end of these people's lives, they were people, living and breathing on this earth just like you or me. And the incredible preservation that we see in their bodies is not something to just marvel at and think about how they would have maybe spent their last few minutes, but instead a reminder that they're not that different from what we are as modern people. They've just been waiting to tell us their secrets for thousands of years. Many of the locations where these bodies were found are preserved and protected by governments, but not all of them are marked with signs or monuments telling of the lives that were found there. Let us all remember the bodies of the bogs and the people that they once were. If you're interested in learning more about bog bodies, go ahead and check out. I'm going to start posting links every week. I'm going to probably go back and post the ones from last week later in the week this week. Um, I'm going to drop a story tab or a story like bubble on Instagram that's savable or like it's going to be available forever. I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say. I'm going to drop a thing where you can find links to the documentaries that I recommend so that you don't have to remember the names or write them down, but instead I can do the work for you because I'm willing to do that because I love you guys. So I have a few documentaries I checked out this week um, that I would love for y'all to look at if you're more interested. As always, this has been great. I really hope that you enjoyed the episode. I hope that you enjoyed getting to learn again with me this week. I can't wait to hear what you think. I can't wait to, you know, find out what you guys are looking for next and find out what you think of the new sound effects. Uh, I didn't really use them because I was scared. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But 
I can't wait to hang out with you again. I hope you'll join me next week in the pursuit to know a little bit about everything. Please like, share, comment. Uh, If you're not following the pod, please follow the pod. And most of all, guys, stay safe out there. Until next time. Bye.